Our scripture today comes from Acts 4, 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called on account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord for us. It was just before World War II that the town of Itasca, Texas, experienced devastation. A local school building caught fire uh, with the worst possible results. Hundreds of lives that were lost. Now, when the war ended, that town began to grow and thrive and flourish, and they eventually built a brand new school. And it featured the finest sprinkler system ever designed on the face of the earth. Um, so in that particular town, civic pride ran very high. Uh, in fact, the honor students were selected at, to serve as sort of tour guides, and they would walk visitors through their new facilities, and they would point out this advanced sprinkler system. This is the cutting edge in technology and about no sprinkler system like this on the face of the earth. Never again is Itasca going to experience tragedy like we did back then. So the community entered a season of growth. It was seven years later after building the building that they needed to add on to their school. And so they began a building project. And when they were adding the new wing, they discovered something. This sprinkler system, state-of-the-art, that which was going to save them and help them, all-powerful, had never been connected. Never got hooked up. Wouldn't have done a single thing to help them in the event of a tragedy. And what a tragedy when we do the same thing in our spiritual lives. When we fail to connect to God's great power at work within us and through us and for us. Here's what Jesus tells the early church, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He is calling them to go forth and proclaim the good news. So we are in a sermon series called Proclaim. <laughs> this is the second week in this sermon series as we're looking at the very first sermons preached by the early church. So these are all in the book of Acts, the fir first chapters in the book of Acts preached by guys like Peter and Paul and James. And this morning what we're going to see is that they preached about the power of Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about together this morning. So let me introduce myself. My name is John. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA. I'm just thrilled to be with you this morning. I'm so thankful that you've chosen to come and worship with us. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and your home grow stronger in the Lord. So for this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and get it handy. We see as we read in these early chapters of the book of Acts that the church continued to grow. The disciples begin to do 
miraculous deeds. They're performing signs and wonders. So we're going to be in chapter four today, but let me just summarize what happens in chapter three. And we heard a reference to it in the scripture reading that Brian read for us. In chapter three, Peter and John heal a lame man. You probably remember singing about this when you were a child in Sunday school, when Peter and John went to pray and they met a lame man on the way. And he asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Apparently we sang it in the King James. (laughs) In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So that's what happens in in chapter 3. Well, uh, this draws a lot of attention to them because they just did a miracle. A guy who was lame is now walking around. And so they're brought before the high priest. They're brought before this ruling group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin. And they're questioned. And that's when Peter steps up. Like, he, they're, at, they're asking him questions. And so, uh, you may remember from last week, or if you know from your own study of Scripture, Peter doesn't really need that much of an invitation or an opening to step up, clear his throat, and say, I'm so glad you asked. And so, so now we have the stage set for the sermon that he preaches. He, he answers their questions, and he really uh, seizes the opportunity to, what, proclaim Christ. And here's what we see him proclaim, the power of Christ. So go ahead and turn with me, Acts chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. It says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, uh, for more on that, see last week's sermon. (laughs) Because what did they proclaim? They proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about that last Sunday. Let's see, where are we? Oh, verse 3. They seized Peter and John. So they, they grabbed them. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So they are actually thrown in jail because of what? Because of proclaiming the good news. Verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. (laughs) So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The church is growing. And again, we talked about this last week, so I won't say too much on it this morning. But followers of Jesus will face opposition and persecution. There will be those who come against us when we're doing the right thing and when we're living for Christ and proclaiming Christ. The unbelieving world just simply doesn't understand us. Sometimes our own families don't understand our convictions and the decisions we make and the choices we make to follow Jesus. And I'll say this, sadly, there are times where other believers oppose us. There are times where other, a brother or sister in Christ will tear us down and discourage us, even when we are proclaiming Christ. I think there's a time and a place to call out false teaching, I think, that, I think that it's appropriate when we, when we see a heresy, an untruth, that the scriptures tell us be on guard. But guys, I think a lot of times there are just simply people who are doing ministry differently than we are. And that's okay. Like, like we're not going to get hung up on why... They should do sermons the way we do, or they should do baptisms the way we do, or they should do discipleship the way we do, or they should do worship ministry. (laughs) That one gets really tricky, doesn't it? The worship wars, the music, what's appropriate for a gathering. Instead, we should rejoice 
That they are proclaiming Christ. And, and then we should keep on pursuing the mission that God has given us to do. So I have just been completely floored this week with the vitriol toward the He Gets Us campaign, the, the ads that ran during the Super Bowl. Oh boy, <laughs> maybe you've caught some of this. Those ads didn't say enough. Those ads squandered an opportunity. They had an incomplete message of the gospel. I mean, they are really, they're really getting attacked by the evangelical world. Like our, our world, our people are really attacking the people that are behind that. And here's the attitude. I don't like the way they shared Christ with hundreds of millions of people. That's, that's really, if you boil it down, that's the heart behind it. I don't like the way they shared Christ with hundreds of millions of people. Listen, either cheer them on or just go about proclaiming Christ in the way he has called you to do it. That's my heart. Either cheer them on or just say, that's someone doing ministry and proclaiming Christ the way they feel called to do it, and I'm going to proclaim Christ the way he has called me to do it. But I'm not going to tear them down. There's not, there's not room for friendly fire in, in the church. Again, we call out heresy and untruth, and we're on guard against false teachers. Particularly, if you read the scriptures, uh, those warnings often come in the context of not a global village, but a local church. Being on guard right, right here with what we're teaching and what we're learning and the way we're growing and being discipled in the local church. And so what we have in Acts chapter 4 is we have Peter and John and they're in jail. Why? Because the religious leaders didn't like the way they were doing acts of kindness. <laughs> didn't like the way they were preaching about the Messiah. So let's pick it back up. We're in Acts chapter 4 verse 5. Remember, it was evening when they were seized, thrown in jail. Like, we'll just put them in jail for now. That will shut them up. We'll deal with them tomorrow. So it says, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. These were like who's who in the religious leadership world at that time. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. And, and look what they do. They, they perfectly position the disciples to respond. The, here's the first question. By what power? What name did you do this? Again, they're referring to the healing of the lame man in Acts chapter 3. So then, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people. And you can see there the exclamation point. Totally appropriate. Uh, did you know in the original... Uh, biblical texts, there aren't um, periods, commas, and, uh, you know, emphatic statements. Like, so we have to, so translators have to insert those things. Uh, Peter gets a lot of exclamation points. <laughs> he calls out to them, he calls out to them, rulers and elders, he says, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. 
By what power? Peter says, thank you for asking. By what power does this man who couldn't walk now rise and walk about among us, leaping and singing and praising God? By what power? I'll tell you what power. None other than Jesus. The one we've been talking about. The one we've been proclaiming. It's by his power. And by the way, he's the one you crucified. But by the power of God is raised from the dead. And then he quotes Psalm 118, right? Saying that Christ is this cornerstone the builders rejected. So tradition tells us, so this is extra biblical, but tradition tells us that when the temple was being constructed in Jerusalem, the builders needed the cornerstone. And so they couldn't seem to find it. And so they sent word to the quarry. You remember the, the stones that were chiseled and, and used for the temple. There was a, 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 a stone quarry uh, that the, the stones were prepared there and then they were hauled into the temple building site. So like the place of construction wasn't where the stones were prepared. So they sent word to the quarry saying, hey, listen, we need the cornerstone. Where's the cornerstone? And word came back to them saying, we already sent it to you guys. We sent the cornerstone, like it's the first stone that's laid. We sent it to you months ago. So, the, so tradition tells us, then someone says, oh, oh, that big wonky stone. The one that looked like it's not going to fit anywhere. I don't see how this is going to work with building the temple. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what to do with it. And so we just rolled it down the hill into the valley of Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is this place just outside of Jerusalem that's... Uh, it's, it's a valley. You could just throw stuff down there, but it's a place of trash, refuse. Um, it, it was perpetually burning. So there are constant fires and smoke coming up from Gehenna uh, because that's where they're basically burning the trash. But it was more than just like the, the local city dump. It was a place of death. Um, it wasn't just rubbish that was thrown there. It was actually cadavers that were thrown there as well. It was uh, sort of a picture of hell. And that's the way Jesus talks about it. He'll, he'll use the phrase Gehenna when talking about how perpetual burning, a place of death, a place of despair. And so tradition tells us that the cornerstone was actually not recognized and discarded into the valley of Gehenna, only to then be retrieved. Oh, there it is. Let's go get it. And up the hill it comes so that they can build the temple. Isn't that cool? Like, like, what a great picture of Jesus. Discarded, rejected, sent to the pit of death, and yet resurrected. And is now the rock of our salvation. And so, Peter says very plainly in this passage that it's Jesus who is that cornerstone. In Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected, that prophecy, it's talking about Jesus. So then we get to verse 12, and he says... Very clearly, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now again, he's making this claim not just to Jewish people, not just to Jewish teachers of the law. He's making this claim to the highest levels of authority in Jewish religious life. The high priest. These, these individuals who were the most educated, the most aware. So he, this is a remarkable claim to make to a group of Jewish scholars and church leaders. Everyone there that day would have known what the scriptures said. They, they were familiar with the law. They knew the prophets. And the scriptures said very clearly that only God, only Yahweh, the one true God, can save. 
But here's Peter saying it's only at the name of Jesus. Salvation is found in no other name. So this is a bold claim. And Peter is saying it very clearly and very definitively. This is a proclamation and it's focused on salvation through Christ. He is that one. He is the cornerstone. It is a proclamation about the power of God in Jesus. Now, the theological term we use for the power of God is omnipotence, right? Omnipotence, meaning all-powerful. Uh, God is able to do all things, right? So very simply put, in, in theological terms, we, it's like um, God can do everything. God is able. He's omnipotent, which sometimes, of course, leads to the classic uh, well, if God's all-powerful, can God create a rock so heavy that he's not strong enough to move it? <laughs> and you go, well, the answer to that is no, but not because God isn't strong enough to move a heavy rock, and not because God isn't creative enough to make a, a big rock, but because God is infinite. There's no end. And so in order for there to be a rock that he couldn't move, it would have to be like infinite and beyond. <laughs> and, and that's really not possible. Maybe I shouldn't even be addressing that. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't even be addressing that. But the, the point is that God is all-powerful. There's no, there's no uh, scenario that you can really go, wait, yeah, gotcha, he's not all-powerful. Um, God does, I'll say this, God does operate within the framework that God has ordered and instituted. God operates within his order and his framework. So there are uh, places in the scripture that say things that God cannot do. So um, Titus 1-2 tells us God cannot lie. Does that mean he's not all-powerful? Of course not. It means that God is true to his nature. God cannot disown himself, according to 2 Timothy 2-13. And God doesn't, uh, also along with that, God doesn't change his nature. We know what the scriptures say, that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God is unchanging. And there's something really good about that for you and I. Because God is faithful. And so God is an unchanging, faithful God who will be ever present for you and I. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that God is He's not going to stop halfway through the process of growing you and discipling you and working in your lives. Being confident of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the Lord says uh, in Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven very clearly, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Boy, what a wonderful truth. That our God is all-powerful. That our God can do all things. That there is nothing outside of his reach. So here's what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together as we consider this sermon from Peter proclaiming the power of God, the power that could raise a lame man to walk again. Um, three ways that God's power impacts us. Right, because it's, it's all sort of nice and neat and cute for the sermon today to be God is omnipotent. And that's really good. We should, we should know that. that. That's part of our theology. We should know that. That God is omnipotent. But I really don't want to just sort of leave it there. 
I want to help us understand. So what does that mean? What, what does it mean that God is all-powerful? So for starters, and, and we see this in the proclamation, for starters, it's only because of God's power that we have so great a salvation. Right? So we only know the hope of eternal life and salvation. Why? Because of God's power for salvation. So our spiritual enemy, there, there is this spiritual battle that is raging. So we have a spiritual enemy, and the scriptures tell us that he is on the prowl. He's on the prowl. He wants to cause destruction. He wants to bring deceit and lies. Uh, the, the scriptures affirm the fact that when he fell from heaven, when Lucifer fell from heaven, he took with him a third of God's angels who now serve with him as a legion of demons. And they are just bent on bringing deception to humans, enticing us into the darkness. And when we fall prey to that, and we're prone to sin, and really all of us have sinned, we've, we've done wrong, we've entered into that sort of darkness, we become enslaved. We are like captives who are bound up and chained up in our sin. We are powerless to escape the doom that awaits us. Your good deeds can't save you. Your background can't save you. Your good intentions, no, those don't save you. Your family of origin doesn't save you. Your church affiliation, why I'm a member at this, doesn't save you. Only Christ saves you. Can I get an amen? Like this is the truth of the gospel. The good news that it is the power of God that we know salvation. And as much as sometimes we want credit for our salvation, as much as we want to think I've really earned favor with God because I've done so much good and I've done so much right, it's not true. We are saved only by Christ. And and only Christ, like no one else could have taken his place because he was fully God and yet fully human. Because he was perfect. He was blameless. Never did anything wrong. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb. The lamb of God. And he's the one. He's the only one who could stare death in the face. Who could stare down sin and Satan and overcome. Jesus is stronger than our foe. Isn't that good news? Jesus is stronger than any foe, and he is stronger than our spiritual adversary. And it is only the power of God that brings us salvation. So here's what Romans 1.16 says. So I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So the Greek word here, I love this, for power, is dunamis. I've taught this before. Maybe you remember it. What English word do we get from that? Dynamite. Power. Raw power. I remember as a teenager, playing around with (laughs) gunpowder. Yeah, my friends and I, we got gunpowder. We filled up this container We got about a hundred foot fuse and uh, we put this container in an old boat. (laughs) We had permission from the owner who didn't want the boat there anymore. We can take care of that. 
So we, we, we string out the fuse and we light it, and then we're just waiting. The, the 100 feet, or however long it was, took way longer than we were expecting. So we reached this really awkward point where it's like, did, it go, did the fuse go out? Are you going to go check? <laughs> I'm not going to go check, because if I get up there, boom! And I mean, pieces of boat are just flying all around. There's shrapnel going everywhere. There are, there's debris flying all around us. We're way too close for that. Here's the thing when you mess around with dynamite. No matter how much you use, small amount, big amount, whatever. No matter how much you use, you always go, wow, that was powerful. <laughs> you go, oh, are your ears still ringing? What? I can't hear what you're saying. It was so loud. Anytime you do that, you, you focus on how powerful it was. It is the power of God, the dunamis, dynamite power of God that saves you. That's it. That's it. Nothing you do. It is by the power of God that you, a sinner, that you who have been enslaved by the evil one in bondage, in darkness, can be set free, can be forgiven, can be healed, can be redeemed. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 1. We've been studying Colossians on Wednesday nights, by the way. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Have you been rescued by Jesus? Can you speak to that power that could save your soul? Are you choosing to live for the Lord Jesus Christ that Peter so adequately and clearly proclaimed to the Sanhedrin that day? I mean, if that's a choice you want to make today, come and find me after the service. Our, our prayer team is going to be available right here in the front. We would just love to go with you before God's throne of grace to say, Lord, I lay down my life for you. Only you can save me. We'd be honored to lead you and introduce you and walk with you in loving relationship, communion with a holy and loving Heavenly Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. You do not have the power to change yourself. As much as you fight those battles, and, and we all do it. I really want to improve in this area. I really want to be better in this area. I really want to grow here. You don't have the power in and of yourself to do it. And praise God, you don't have to clean up your act before you come to Jesus. You come as you are, and you experience the power of his salvation. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out this morning. Was to talk about the omnipotence of God. The God, God is all-powerful. It is the power of God for salvation. The second thing is that God's power plays out, the way it plays out in our lives is that it gives us power for living. So we're first saved by Christ, and then we are empowered to live for Christ. And let me just encourage us this morning. Don't settle for a mediocre spiritual life. Don't just stop after, well, I got saved by Jesus, that's it. Don't stay spiritually immature. Don't make excuses for sinful attitudes and behaviors and habits that you have. Don't just take, take that position and say, well, that's just how I am. You know, I just have a bad temper. My grandma was Irish. Don't just say, well, I can't really help myself. You, you either take me or leave me. That's just the way I am. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore. 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He gives us some ideas on what that might be. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lust. Evil desires. Greed, which is idolatry. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And all of a sudden you go, oh, I don't want to play games. I don't want to play games with God. I don't want to just have a get out of hell free card that I say, well, I said the sinner's prayer and I know I'm saved because of what the scriptures say, but I'm still going to walk in idolatry. I'm going to still uh, pursue greedy gains. It says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And, And he says very clearly, you used to walk in these ways, the life you lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And he gives us more ideas. Anger. Rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. So he's saying, out with the old self and in with the new. And, and, and as, as much power and authority as you have in your life, you recognize God is the ultimate authority. But as much authority as you have in your own life, he says, get rid of those things. Don't just make excuses for why you're spiritually immature. Don't just say, my grandma was Irish, so I've got an anger problem. You get rid of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. And you know what the best way to get rid of those things is? Is by taking it to God. By saying, God, these things don't honor you. And I don't want anything in my life that dishonors my God. Listen, guys, once you meet Jesus, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. You don't have to tell people always. There should be people who just simply notice it. Hey, you used to be that way, but I'm noticing that you're different now. Yeah, I met Jesus. He's transformed me. He's changing me. And so the high priest that day, back in Acts chapter 4, we got Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The high priest and others that were questioning them, it seems like they noticed it. So if we look at verse 13, what did they see? When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Wait, Peter has courage now? <laughs> Isn't he the one who was like, I don't know Jesus. Who are you talking about? Didn't he deny him not once, not twice, but three times? Wasn't he so terrified and afraid like a wimpy little child? But now he's been with the resurrected Christ. And it says, he didn't just say, I'm courageous. They noticed that he was courageous. Why? Time spent with Jesus. He met with the resurrected and living Christ, and he was forever changed. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When you meet with Jesus, you are forever changed. He will transform your life. If you're nervous and scared and afraid, he turns you into someone people say, wow, bold, courageous. You have courage. You have power. Your life in Christ is now one of freedom and hope and victory. Why? How? Because of the power of God. Because of the dunamis power of God that can transform us. It is power for living for Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. 
It is power for salvation. It is power for godly living. Finally, when we've experienced those things, his salvation and walking in the power of this disciplined, discipled living, he gives us power for witnessing. Any of you guys remember the phenomenon from like the 80s and 90s called the power team? Anybody? Did they come to like Wayne Holmes County back in the day? Anybody remember that? I see some people going, I think I saw them. I, I will say, I, I remember that there was the power team, but then there really were other similar ministries. There was like Team Impact. Oh, okay, kind of off-brand power team. <laughs> but um, these guys, so this was this powerful ministry in the 80s and 90s. And I use that word very intentionally. <laughs> They'd come into your town. They would fill up the local high school, typically. I think I saw them at Bow Fountain High School. And then they just do these feats of strength. So they bend rebar, and they rip phone books, and they uh, chop through these cinder blocks, but not just with their elbow or hand, but with their head. Yeah! So they, they just have this whole... St- oh, and then there was the, wa- the hot water bottle. So remember the, the old, like, red hot water bottles? They would get a bunch of those, and then they would just start to blow them up, like... <sighs> Then they would put these goggles on so their eyes... And then, the, then they would keep blowing until poof, it popped. So they would do these displays of power. They're called the power team. And then ah, they would share with the audience, with the very captive audience who was like totally astonished and fascinated by what they could do, they would share about the ultimate power, which is Christ. And how Christ could defeat sin and death. I mean, th- this really was... Quite a ministry that these guys had going on. Um, you can see the picture we showed was a, a license plate being ripped into. It was always very dramatic. You notice the grimace on his face. So as we talk about you having power for witnessing, maybe God is calling you to break baseball bats over your knee and then tell about Jesus. Maybe he's calling you to uh, fold up skillets like they're burritos with your bare hands. That's what he called those guys to do. Or maybe it's something different. Like maybe God is calling you to the next time you're with that friend and you're spending time together and you're having a great conversation and you're, ta- you're talking about life and maybe God is calling you to say to that friend, hey, I've never really had the chance to ask you. I've never, like, what is it that you believe? What do you, like, what do you, what do you believe in? And then, have that conversation, and maybe, maybe the friend says the same back to you, and you're able to kind of share, yeah, I've met Jesus, and my life has changed. <laughs> what is it that God's calling you to do? Is he calling you to take out an ad during the Super Bowl next year? Do it. <laughs> Proclaim Christ. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, to the ends of the earth. Here's the point. People need the Lord. And we know that. And so we're not going to shy away from that. We're not going to say, boy, I hope someone else tells them about Jesus. Boy, I hope that somehow God gets a hold of them. We're going to say, God has put me here for such a time as this. And we're going to trust that the Lord is going to open those doors. The Sanhedrin says to Peter, by what power? (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So don't think it's a coincidence the next time you find yourself in that situation 
And the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, this is it. Just tell them what you know. Just tell them what you believe. Just tell them what I've done. People need the Lord. And we know that. And so we're not going to be silent. We're not going to be obnoxious about it. We're not going to be rude. We're not going to be hateful. We're not going to be hypocritical. But I tell you, this, this younger generation... high school students, college age. I mean, they're self-reporting record numbers of depression, anxiety, isolation, loneliness. Like no generation ever before. So what are we going to do about it? I'm convinced God is going to use youth to do youth ministry more than he's going to use us. So when your peers and your classmates and your teammates are in that place where they're struggling and they're hurting, to be totally honest, you've been there too. Yeah, I get it. You can say, but I have hope because of Christ. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Don't be ashamed. It is the power of God that brings salvation. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that will empower you for that sort of godly living and for being his witnesses. And, and it's, it's not like we are proclaiming Christ because we're perfect and we figured it all out and we're just calling these wayward degenerates into a life of piety like us. That's not it at all. Like that's not the heart behind it. And I know sometimes we get a little scared about evangelism because it's like, who am I? It's, it's not that at all. It's not, I'm pious and you're a degenerate and I'm calling you into a life that's going to be better. Uh, it's long been said this way. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another where to get some bread. And so you'll notice if we go back to, well, I'm going to close this out with a few more verses in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John find themselves before the Sanhedrin again. This is down in verse 18. And they're told very clearly... No more of this Jesus talk. Stop it. Watch this. Acts 4, 18. Then they called them in again. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. (laughs) Who are we going to obey? Almighty God? Savior of our souls? Or some dude wearing a funny hat. They make it so obvious. They say, you, you decide. Who are we going to obey? In verse 20, as for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. When he's saved your soul, he gives you power to walk in his way. He's filled your heart with courage. When you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot help but proclaim what he's done. And so maybe maybe today, like right now, in the quietness even of this moment, your moment with the Lord needs to be, oh God, have you changed me? And what are you doing in my life? And Lord, I surrender to you. Because I'm scared about the idea of going out and preaching. But Lord, I want to live for you. And I want my life to shine brightly for the kingdom of God. And part of the comfort we take when we step into proclamation is to say it's not in my eloquence or ingenuity or ability 
there is power in the name of Jesus. That's where the power is. It is, well, we say it every single week that you're here with us at MCA, life-giving power of Jesus. Life-giving. For salvation, for godly living, for being his witnesses. So proclaim it. Proclaim it to your children, to your friends, to your relatives, to your coworkers, to your neighbors. That all the world might hear and believe that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. Thanks, Lord, for the example of Peter and John. Thanks, Lord, for the work you do in us that transforms us, that's at times frightening, but always wonderful. Thanks, Lord, for so great a salvation that we know only because of Jesus. Lord, would you infuse our lives with great hope because of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. And Lord, I do pray a special protection over these next generations, over young ones, the ones coming behind me, Lord, who are in a world that's dark, whose own hearts and minds and lives feel that pull from our spiritual adversary, luring them into the darkness, luring them into despair. So, Lord, we come against Satan and his schemes in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that was crucified and by the power of God on the third day raised to life. They belong to you, O God. They are covered by your shed blood, Jesus. We do not allow the world to mold them and shape them and influence them and twist them and pervert them, but we pray protection over them. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in faith, and in purity. So, Lord, do that work and get the glory and the honor because of it. So, Lord, we look to you. We look to you with desperate prayers this morning, God. Do your work of salvation, of shaping and training and discipling. Make us even more into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you. We love you. We praise you and adore you. Thank you for your endless love for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.